Hey everybody, my name is Kerwin Ray, the host of Unstoppable, the world's number one Academy Award winning podcast. I ain't really, but imagine if it was. And today we are talking with James Whitaker, who is a master of performance and the author of the modern companion to the self-help classic, Think and Grow Rich, which has been endorsed by the Napoleon Hill Foundation themselves. If he was alive, I'm sure he'd be happy. He's a keynote speaker, entrepreneur, film producer, and you would have seen him on the Today Show and featured in Entrepreneur Magazine, Money Magazine, and the Sydney Morning Herald. James has interviewed more than 100 of the world's most revered entrepreneurs and business icons and athletes to unlock their secrets to success in today's world. He is going to share all that he has learned with you and it is absolutely incredible. This is going to be one that you will not want to miss and will keep you on the edge of your seats. Get ready for bliss. Listen up. So ladies and gentlemen, it is my absolute honor and pleasure to welcome to the podcast, James Whitaker. Thanks for having me. Mate, with a name like James Whitaker, it's almost got this prestige to it. <laughs> so for those people who don't know um, who you are, I know we've just had a little bit of a chat now, but for, for those people who don't know who you are and what your backstory is, what's uh, what's the elevator? I grew up in uh, beautiful Brisbane, Australia. So I uh, finished high school and spent 10 years in, uh, in financial planning there after university, which the time in financial planning just gave me a really good empathy for about the importance of people to stay engaged with their personal finance yeah, because right. if you if you don't do that you can find yourself in a lot of trouble uh, down the track and then and then after that moved over to America where uh, yeah I spent a year studying uh, an MBA over there and uh, after that for the last six years have been involved in a, a number of entrepreneurial ventures and most recently is co-executive producer of Think and Grow Rich The Legacy yeah. and author of a brand new book also called Think and Grow Rich The Legacy based off uh, the best-selling self-help book of all time. Mate and um, I'm going to go deep and wide on that because that's one of my, my favorite books of all time but um, this is in the blood a little bit. Your old man is Noel. Yes that's Noel right. Whitaker. Like he's uh, <laughs> Uh, like he's been the mainstay in uh, I actually what was his first book Making Money Made Simple I brought a copy for you right oh there. my god yeah so I, I actually yeah wow I was reading because I actually did my uh, Diploma of Financial Planning in Brisbane oh wow like almost 20 years ago yeah and uh, like he was almost a poster child at that point so uh, yeah it's interesting He's uh, he's been around for a very long time he clearly had. rubbed off on you for sure well Think and Grow Rich was the book that completely transformed his life as is well is that so right it, yeah it really is a huge twist of fate that I am here now I guess what probably 35 40 years after it had been such a profound influence on his life that yeah. I'm now here writing the uh, yeah the modern companion so let's let's talk about thinking grow rich. So you 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 when did you first read the book thinking thinking grow rich? I read the book in my teens, but I, it didn't really land with me to be perfectly honest at that stage. And then I always grew up a lot with Jim Rowan. I thought to yeah. to me he was just fantastic. I loved the way that he he uh, had all his messaging and the stories that he brought. They were they were so clear and so simple, and anyone could apply them. And then I revisited thinking grow rich in my twenties, and uh, obviously it's very much the godfather of the whole self help field. And then revisiting it again, I've been reading it every single day now for the last two years since I became on board with this project. And all the people that I've interviewed told me that you can, like with anything in the self-help field, you can only bring to it your life experiences to that point. So mm. I just turned 35. So now at the age of 35, I bring to it a lot more than, than what I did when I first read it at the age of, of 15. So that's why people reread it so often as it's well. It's so funny you should say that because I, I still remember when I first read it, I think it was uh, one of the very first books that I read. So I think I was maybe 24 because I never read a book until the age of 23. The first book I read was um, The Magic and Thinking Big by Dr. David Schwartz. Uh, and it was actually, I think the third or the fourth book was Think and Grow Rich. And I remember reading the preface was like, this book contains a secret. And this secret may have been contained in the title of this book. And I remember literally shutting the book, looking, looking at the fucking title going, 
Yeah, I don't get it. <laughs> I literally was like, okay. I'm, and I was like, I remember having this profound feeling of stupidity. Because I was like reading, I was like, there's a secret in this book. And it's even in the title. It's here, it's there. It's, and I'm like, okay, I'm completely fucking oblivious. Out the window. <laughs> but I read it anyway, you know. And uh, you know, what Thinking Grow Rich has been one of those books which, uh, you know, has been profound for me and its impact. But it's been something that I've referred to over and over and over and over again. Um, and we're going to talk about you know different chapters in that book and how they've impacted me. But what I'm curious to know from you is like what how did how did you get into someone who's read the book and then it became a, a mainstay of what you do to then writing you know Think and Grow Rich a legacy? Well, because that's a big fucking pair of shoes to try on. Very much you so. Know, it was very important for me not to overthink that as well. Like yeah. oh wow, rewriting the best-selling self-help book of all time. 120 million copies sold worldwide. That's right. Yeah, yeah. but I, I was very clear that it was not supposed to be a substitute. It was supposed to be a. I wanted to write a modern companion because the first book, it's like rewriting the Bible. It's such an amazing, timeless classic. But how can we use those lessons and how can we get today's uh, entrepreneurs, like people like Thomas Edison, Andrew Carnegie, Henry Ford, who were mentioned in the original book, people today just aren't as excited about those names. They don't identify as much with those people. So the Napoleon Hill Foundation had issued the rights to the movie for the first time ever to bring it to the, the big screen. And uh, yeah, there was a core production team of director Scott Savine, uh, Sean Donovan, Karina Donovan, and Joel Franco. And I had a, a chance meeting with them in uh, in Santa Monica. I've been living in LA now for the last six years. And they said, we love your energy, but how can you be involved in the project? Just tell us how you can be involved. And I said, well, are you going to release a book with the, the new film? And they were just very, very vague on the details. And I, uh, I kept pushing on it, but they were just so busy on the day-to-day -day production side of the film. And then a week later, I, I got a call from Sean and I said, well, this is what you should do. And I pitched him a concept to say that there are 13 principles of think and grow rich. Why don't you get two or three people and tell their stories in a modern context? How about how they have personified each principle? Yeah, nice. And he said, oh my God, why didn't I think of that? Uh, can you do it? And I said, yes, I'll do it. I'll, I'll knock it out of the park for you. So... That's when I came on board as author of the book. And that almost sounds like a great framework for a movie as well. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it was just, it, it, as I'm sure you would have experienced many times in your own life that putting yourself in a position that, that you will, you put yourself in the path of opportunity and then when it strikes, you're perfectly prepared to be able to take mm. it on. So that was, that was the, and, and that then has become the foundation of everything else that I want to do in my life, which is helping people take ownership of their financial, physical and mental health. It's a really great foundation to be able to do that. Yeah, right. So the book, you've now read, written the legacy. So it's essentially the 13 traits. Yep. What's your favorite chapter? Oh, there's so many. They're all great. Probably the my favorite is chapter one. So the desire. desire. The start, yeah, the starting yeah. point of all achievement is desire. And uh, the stories that I use for that one, uh, Janine Shepard, who I who was the one who introduced us. So yeah. Janine Shepard got the most amazing stories. Incredible. So for people who don't know, she was hit by a truck uh, when she was national ski champion, destined to go to the Winter Olympic Games. And she then was airlifted to hospital, 10 days in a coma, six months in a spinal ward and having to come to a realization that the entire physical being, the very life and her identity that she knew had been erased and eliminated forever. And she had to step into the shoes of that new person. But also very, very importantly, she was in a, 
she looked, she didn't know, she had no identity. She didn't know who she was. And then one day sitting at home, she saw a plane fly overhead and she thought to herself, if I can't walk, I'll fly. And so she would never get a pilot's license if she couldn't walk. So for the second time in her life, she uh, taught herself to walk again. Like that to me is such an amazing thing. And mm. rarely in our, our life when we feel like we've hit rock bottom, maybe we've had a relationship breakdown or lost a job, but rarely is it the immense physical trauma something like Janine went through. So it's a very inspiring story for me and something that I've received a lot of positive feedback on as well. So I would uh, I would say uh, desire. Okay, so desire, that's, that's obviously a good starting point. But is there is there another chapter that you've read and that you've used throughout your life that has had a profound impact on you? Yeah, Definitely. The biggest one for me would be the mastermind principle. So, yeah, right. yeah and I'm sure it would be the same for you. Absolutely. So, yeah. So, number nine. Well, actually, my favorite chapter is chapter 11, but we'll talk about that later. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, pow- the power of the mastermind says that you don't need to have all, all the answers yourself. You yeah. just need to offer enough value to other people so that they can then help you and really amplify your efforts. So, it's very difficult. I, the way that I like to describe it is if you've got two businesses, so two people wanting to bring a product to market and one person is sitting there doing all the work themselves because they're very protective around their idea and then they go to market without having really any mentorship from other people, any guidance, any assistance. And then contrarily, you've got someone else who has a great product and then they've got a little advisory board to help them come up with the best product. And they help them basically in all these areas and then they bring it to market using a big team and you just know who's going to win long term. And I can see it here around your office. You're a, you have an amazing uh, group of people here who align with your values and your mission that you can impact the world and so many millions of people in it via this amazingly inspirational team far more than you ever could have done by yourself. So the mastermind principle has been by far the most profound impact uh, in my life out of all of these principles. I'm, I'm curious for your take on chapter 11 though, the power of sex transmutation, uh, because I actually read that chapter easily, fuck, gosh, seven or eight times before I actually really understood what it was all about. What's your take on the power of sex transmutation? So I actually got asked that recently at a speaking event at the Young Entrepreneurs Convention. And it was one that it was, I wasn't sure how I was going to write it. But then the way that I wanted to describe it was, it's a vice that anyone uses in their life that if properly channeled can be used for a positive thing. But if not, uh, if not positively channeled, it can also destroy you and so what I wanted to do was interview uh, the, the people who I mentioned in this one are John Shin and Lionel Souza, who are very big family men. So they have very strong relationships with their wife, their children. Uh, Lionel has uh, 20 or 30 grandchildren now as well. So I wanted to show, yeah, they were able to channel all those desires and different things into having a very strong family unit that get, gave them a great sense of personal fulfillment you know it's interesting when you start looking at um other uh, you know other philosophies and other countries you know religions and and scriptures and texts um because you know, the thing that i took from thinking grow from chapter 11 is any man or woman that has the discipline to focus sexual energy onto things other than the act itself will be able to create wealth beyond their wildest dreams and access the realms of genius. And it's interesting because in Tantra, you know, Tantric yogis have been talking about this for centuries, the ability to channel sexual energy you know, through different meridians in the body to you know, achieve levels of heightened awareness and even super conscious. But what, what I find interesting, it was almost like, and this is going to sound really weird, but I see Napoleon Hill as almost like the, the Western man's yogi, yeah. the, the Tantric yogi, because he was onto a concept 
that you know was has been discussed in in, in Eastern philosophies uh, and disciplines for, for for centuries. Definitely, but it's not something that we understand or, or even introduced. You know, it, like most people, when it comes to school, the the most the education they have on the power of sex is okay. Here's a banana. Here's a condom. You know, here's what you do, right? But most people never actually trained that. Well, hang on. If I actually become sexually aroused, I can actually use that energy and focus that energy onto things other than the the fantasy, the the simulation, or the act itself, and it's going to dramatically increase the power and the potential of that creation. That's right, and I, I feel like it can also go into things like drug and alcohol and any other vices. Well, he talks as well. about that. He talks about any, there's any 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 alcohol any substance that has the ability to raise energy increases the power for creation, but also the power for destruction, uh, which is quite interesting as well. Yeah, absolutely. It's a uh, yeah, it's a, a a very important principle and one that a lot of people are they can. They you want to hear a funny story? Yeah, on? Okay. absolutely. Let's do it. So I was um I was gosh when was this I was. In my early 30s, I just bought a business. Uh, I'd bought a business that had been going concern. I'd been going for two years and it turned out about $320,000 in those two years. Um, I started, I bought this business, went in there, started running the business, started you know, putting it back together again. And in the, I think it was maybe in the first month, I met this girl and I fell completely head over heels in love with this chick. Blonde hair, blue eyes, absolutely stunning. Um, with, I think we're maybe four weeks into this relationship, I was making her dinner or I was had dinner at her place and we'd made dinner together. And um, one of the things that I like to ask people, I was like, what is your dream? And I realized I hadn't asked her this question. So I was like, look, you know, honey, I'm curious, like, what is your dream? Now, I think at this point we've been together maybe four weeks, maybe three, four, five weeks at that. And she goes, well, my dream is to marry you and have your children. And I remember at that point, if I'd heard that from any other situation, I would have been like, fucking out of there. I would have been gone. But it was at this. I was. It was timing, right? And timing has such an, a crucial role in so many, you know, different aspects of transformation. Where I was at the point, I, was, I realized I had commitment issues, and I was like, "Fuck, okay, it's coming up again. It's giving me something." And I remember that moment going, "All right, okay, I'm not going to run away from this. I'm actually going to commit to this." Now I was more infatuated than I was in love, but I was still like, "Okay, I'm consciously aware that I have." So I committed to the relationship in that moment. Interesting. Three weeks later, we broke up. She dumped me via text message from her friend's phone. Oh, that's a bit rough. I thought it was a bit rough as well. <laughs> and I won't go into the story of it because it was just a pure story. But what I will go into was the feeling that it left me with. Because up until that point, I had never had anyone in a relationship. I'd always been the one that ended relationships. And so I'd always had that element of control and that element of power. And all of a sudden, I was put in a situation where I was feeling enormous levels of pain and there was nothing I could do about it to, to alleviate it. And I, you know, it was because I had this unresolved desire that I wasn't able to reconcile, you know, with this commitment that I'd made that I, you know, thought was holding me back. And so I'm sitting on my bed. Uh, I've been in two days of torment at this point, and I always used to sleep with Think and Grow Rich beside my bed. And my copy of Think and Grow Rich at home is like fucking dog-eared. It's underlined. It's falling apart. Like it literally looks like it's been to Afghanistan and back. And I held it up to my head, like as if I was praying. And then I just opened it, and I literally I spoke to Napoleon because Napoleon and I we have a great relationship. I was like, okay, mate, I need some help right now. I need you to help me get through this because I don't know, you know, your book was there. And um, I opened my hands, and the the, the the book fell open at chapter eleven, the power of sex transmutation. And I remember thinking, oh, that's a fucking cruel joke, you know. And I read that chapter seven times that night. Like I literally read it seven back to back to back to back. And the next day I got up and I started studying Tantra and Kundalini. And, and what I realized was, and this is, I know this is a little bit fringe, but I hope you don't mind us going there. I realized I was actually quite sexually undisciplined. I realized that I had a high level of sexual drive, which is what Napoleon refers to. You know, those 500 wealthiest people that he identified, they all had very high levels of sex drive. But what they had learned how to do was to channel that sexual energy into things other than the act itself, which in itself created an intensity 
of of tension around creation and i can't think of a more powerful force more powerful procreative force than sexual energy because sexual energy is the only force on the planet that has the ability to encapsulate a soul in an organic body and you know produce life that's right and, and also the experiences that you then had to that point were by the time that you picked up the book after what you had gone through it's just perfect timing for you oh. then to say all right how can i turn this into something practical into daily action that i can yeah that i can take from here rather than if you had have looked at that chapter read it seven times maybe 10 years ago it probably wouldn't have uh, so do you know what i did what i went celibate <laughs> <laughs> for real wow i went celibate for the goal was to go six months almost went eight but my, my form of celibacy, it was, okay, from now on, I want to create a very high level of discipline around any uh, sexual urges, sexual thoughts, sexual compulsions. So my goal was, okay, no sex, no fantasizing about sex, and no sexual simulation. So masturbate, no masturbation, no fantasy, no actual acts of sex. And what I did is I learned this method of kundalini breathing, whereby when you feel a sexual energy start to, you know, saturate the body and, and feel the different, you know, triggers that you'd feel, there's this breathing technique where you can you know, imagine you've got a golden orb at the base of your spine and your root chakra. And as you breathe in through your nose, you, um, you visualize this gold orb coming up the back of your spine and as you breathe out. And it creates like this cyclical, cyclical, like a fucking cycle motion. Cyclical, cyclical motion around the upper torso, whereby you're actually, um, uh, what's the word that I'm looking for? You're actually moving the energy. The energy, because what I've discovered is with sexual energy, with any form of energy, when it becomes trapped, it builds tension and then it looks for a form of expression. Then it most happens, it is unhealthy. And so what I learned how to do was whenever I felt any form of sexual arousal, rather than me beating myself up, I would literally just go through this breathing process and then I'd start to visualize what I was trying to do, what I was trying to create. And at that point, I just bought a business. So I had you know, plenty of stuff to visualize. What was interesting is um, I generated 6.9 million in the next nine months with me and a PA out of that business. Wow. And just to the point where what was interesting is I had people come up and go, Kerwin, what is it about you? Like you've just got this magical energy about you right now because I literally had harnessed all that sexual energy and rather than you know squandering it in other areas, I was literally channeling it directly into the creation and the manifestation and the procreation of, of wealth, which is exactly what Napoleon Hill was talking about. Yeah, and that contagious energy that enables oh. you then to really amplify your... Uh yeah, your efforts and contribution. And what was interesting is I since learned from them, from as a result of that process, that every emotion, whether it be a you know a sexual emotion or a, or you know a chemical emotion, it all has an origin, and it all can be circulated and transmuted into some form of creation or transmuted to increase the probability of some form of creation. Yeah, and it's such a... What you mentioned as well actually reminds me of something that I encourage people to do nowadays when they wake up in the morning and they think about what circumstances they're going to face that day and just taking a deep breath and thinking about what energy do they want to bring into those situations and what outcome do they want to get out of it and then writing down three things that they're grateful for i know it's on a different thread but it's a that to me is such a great way of just really uh walking into the consciousness of what you want to actually I don't know. It really just determines uh, you get a much better outcome well, as increase, a result. And it, it, to me, I'm the 1% guy. I'm looking for what are the little things that I can do that increase the probability of a specific, you know, predictable outcome, you know, taking place. And I know nothing's guaranteed, but there are certain things we can do that will increase the probability of it. You know, one of them is becoming aware of where our energy is and being able to channel it. Another one is being conscious of our desires and where we're putting them into. But the one that I've found to be most effective is becoming conscious of this concept that Napoleon refers to as auto-suggestion. Yeah. You know, and auto-suggestion is really that 
that process whereby we start to retake or regain a conscious control of the programming of the operating system that we're working with. When you read auto-suggestion or when you read or write about auto-suggestion, how have you best been able to utilize that you know, for the creation of what you've you know, done in your own world? The big one for me was when I spoke to Bob Proctor, who a lot of people might recall as the face of the movie and the book The Secret that came out in 2006. He said that you do not need to believe it straight away. It's through the process of auto-suggestion, that repetition of thought, literally repeating that statement, that affirmation out loud, uh, feeling every associated emotion of already having attained your goal, whatever that might be. It's through that, that is the process of auto-suggestion, that repetition twice daily, out loud, that over time you start to believe it. And once you believe it, beliefs are so important because they determine our actions. So that to me was so important because people, uh, they don't need to believe it straight away. They just need to write down their success plan, what is their unique definition of success, and then they've got to do the work. And once they do the work, they start to believe it, then that is what turbocharges them to get them into the uh, the next level. You know, it's interesting. I, I call auto-suggestion, uh, auto like to me, is, is it's, it's self-hypnotic prophecy. How do we self-hypnotize ourselves to you know create the things that we want to create in our own world? And I think what's interesting is, most auto suggestion is so unconscious. You know, we literally pick up the suggestions of those around us. You know, I had someone suggest to me between the ages of like four and seven that I was stupid. And so literally I adopted this auto suggestion until the age of 23 that I was stupid. And as a result, I prophetically produced the results that a stupid person would produce. And I failed every subject between year one and year 12. You know, diagnosed with learning disabilities. Well, you know, that would make sense. Someone who's you know, been told they're stupid, they would have learning disabilities. But what's interesting is it was in my mid-20s that I started to become you know, consciously aware of the power of directing thought towards specific commands. And um, I came up with what I call the Ten Commandments, where I literally sat down and I wrote, okay, what are the ten behaviors that if I demonstrate them as a natural consequence, the, the success, the probability of success showing my life will increase. And I literally sat down and I, you know, I, I focused on things like uh, persuasion and connection and sales and business. And what was profound is it didn't happen straight away. And at first, when I first started going through the auto suggestion, it felt completely foreign. Like it almost felt like I was lying to myself. Yeah. But over time, it built this little tiny crispy foundation and that crispy foundation turned into a crust and that crust turned into you know a solid piece of concrete and now like literally there is they are so concrete within my mind there's just no doubt that they are true and as a result i've produced the behaviors and the consequences that would say that they are as well and i bet no one tries to put you into a box anymore whereas back in the day via that limited conditioning those limited beliefs that we all just naturally grow up with if we believe the box that someone else has put us into, it's very, very difficult for us to break out of that. Mm. But from the moment you can create your own box for yourself and break free and chart any any uh, course that you want in your life, it's such a huge, uh, such a huge defining moment. But the, the crazy thing is, like, have you ever seen the the TV show The Greatest American Hero? Oh, you, oh sure. you may be a little maybe. bit young. I can't believe I'm saying this to you because you may be a little bit young. I've got plenty of grey hairs. <laughs> I know you have, right? You look old. You actually look more mature than you are. Um, so I'm 43, and there was this TV show when I was younger called The Greatest American Hero, and I and I fucking love it more now than I did back then. And when I've even gone to watch it back now, and it's horrible to watch, <laughs> uh, much like anything that we uh, we enjoy when we're younger. But what was interesting it was about this guy who was driving through the desert. And a fucking a spaceship comes out of nowhere, uh, teleports down and gives him this Superman suit. 
And it's like, you know, you're here to do great things and we're here to empower you with this super suit so you can do great things. So he grabs this fucking little suitcase, this alien suitcase, and he goes rocking back to his car. And as he's rocking back to his car, he's walking along and the instructions fall out of the suitcase. And he gets into his car, he goes up, drives home, you know, two days later, he gets back to where he is and he pulls this out. And he's like, oh shit, what is this? Did I actually hallucinate that? It was real? And then he puts this fucking super suit on and he goes, oh, okay, so how does this work? And like literally throws his hands into the air like a Superman and he goes smashing through the ceiling and flying you know, in spirals through billboards into it. So the whole moral of the story is he was given this incredible superpower, but he didn't have the user's manual. And so to me, what made that, that um, TV series so prophetic is it describes every single one of us. Like we all have this incredible superpower, but no one actually gave us the fucking user's manual. And if I think if there was a user's manual, I honestly believe step one of the user's manual would be be conscious of the code. Like be conscious of the programs that you're entering into your software because that's going to produce the behaviors of the hardware. But what I find interesting is the level of, I guess you would call it, a, a, I guess, a, obliviousness to the power of the things that we say to ourselves. Why do you think so many people are oblivious to the things that they suggest themselves on a moment-to-moment basis, you know, being so powerful to create the things that they're producing in their life? I actually think it's getting worse as well. I think with the modern comforts and luxuries and technology and couches and better quality TVs and Netflix and all those services that are great in moderation, if you combine that with social media where it's so much easier now for people just to sit there and watch the show roll on in front of them rather than participate, I think we're just too distracted. And if people aren't aware of what is possible for them, the first thing that I do with people is sit down and I say, let's create a success plan template for them. So what is their unique definition of success in all of those key areas? The people who don't take the time to write down what's important to them, of course they get increasingly distracted in this world of of social media and and modern comforts. So I want to talk about another really, there's so many, like I'm looking at the chapters, I'm like, oh my God, I want to talk about this. Oh my God, I want to talk about that. Uh, There's so many important, um, you know, uh, chapters that I want to talk about. But the one that uh, like pops out to me when when I read this again is the sixth sense. And again, I think a lot of people think that it's either something that you have or you're something that you don't. What's your interpretation of the sixth sense? I think it's a, an instinct that once you've got everything else in your life dialed in, that you actually feel a little bit like a superhero, like Iron Man that you've got out there on your on your wall as well. So I think that is where instinct comes along and you find out that the results of those instinctual decisions are actually the right ones. So living with purpose without having to create as much of a daily, uh, it seems like you're not making too much effort in trying to be that person. So living with an authenticity as well. Yeah, but you, I noticed you said like once you've got everything dialed in, do you really need to have everything dialed in to be able to access the sixth sense? Oh, I, Let me explain why. Because yeah. I, I honestly believe that the sixth sense is something that Mother Nature gave us when we were fundamentally very stupid. Like when we were going back into the you know the the Paleolithic area, you know we didn't necessarily have you know the, the the best instincts, and so Mother Nature in all her glory gave us this ability to be able to intuit information from the environment, to be able to have better like insights as to well maybe if I go into this direction I'm going to have food, if I go to this direction I'm going to avoid you know uh, danger. Yeah, I, I honestly believe that every single person actually has it within them. They're just not necessarily listening. Would did you would you subscribe to that? Yeah, definitely. And a lot of that is just really being able to filter out. All all the, the noise and the distraction. The distraction. So you can live your authentic self. In this social media world, people yeah. are just so worried about because all, all day they just look at other people's perceptions of 
of their their personal brand, which a lot of it is very very unhealthy when we compare ourselves to those people. So yeah, just being uh, tapping into, or I think being open about our vulnerabilities gets people excited in us, and then when we're clear about our purpose. Mm. Those two things allow people to believe in us and want to help us. And uh, I think it just creates much better connection and enables us to live with that authenticity as well. Because I, I, what I find interesting is, you know, I've been, you know, been a business educator now, been buying building businesses now for almost two decades as an educator for about 15. And I remember when I first started speaking, whenever I dropped the word intuition, like people used to get a little bit kind of, oh, shit, you know, that's, <laughs> that's on the fringe. Whereas almost now it's almost like, it's expected, you know, because you hear Oprah Winfrey talk about intuition. You hear, you know, uh, Richard Branson, you hear Steve Jobs, Bill Gates. You even hear like Donald Trump, you know, talking about intuition as well. Uh, so are you starting to see intuition as playing a much bigger role? And if so, what do you think is the major role of intuition? I think so. You look at the big social media gurus lately, like your Gary Vaynerchuk's and Lewis Howes, and they have been very upfront around who they are and, and their stories and living with uh, intuition they're very very clear and as a result have a much better connection with their audience they're not just a faceless brand people believe in them and and are willing to take the daily actions to uh, I guess just participate with those people so they can respond to their comments on social media they can be a member of the programs that they're selling and, and those different things so I think as long as you have that intuition it enables you to create a much better two-way relationship with your customers and the business when so many people back in the day want to dictate to the market what their product is rather than wanting to have a two-way street. Yep. Okay, cool. Like I'm, I'm flicking through the, um, the, the table of contents here and it's, it's bringing back so many incredible memories. I just have so many uh, incredible memories rooted in, in the experience of reading this book over and over and over again. It was, it was such an important point as well, like when you talk about your copy is covered in all these different things as well because people need to know how to read the book as well. If you're not sitting there with a, with a notepad or a highlighter or taking notes, then you're not really going to get you're very not really much out serious. of it. really serious, yeah. yeah. Like, and, and to me, I think the first time I read it, it was more, okay, curiosity. The second time I read it, it was actually more practical, like how do I actually get something from this? But, um, you know, there's so many things in here that I want to touch on. But one of the things I think um, actually – I think uh, this might actually be under what your dad spoke about as well – is the importance of specialized knowledge. You know, once upon a time, you know, having a lot of information about a lot of things was quite helpful. You know, jack of all trades, you know, gave you a lot of scope. But now, you know, I don't think this is a concept that was relevant just in 1902 or 1937. I think this is a concept that's relevant even more so now, the importance of specialized knowledge. When Napoleon Hill was referring to specialized knowledge, was he, refer was he referring to the expert niches? Was he referring to the authority niches? What was he referring to? He was, and another thing that he was referring to is that education by itself is meaningless. I actually just posted a photo on my Instagram talking about this very point. So... The market doesn't care how many degrees you have. It doesn't matter what you know. You get paid for what you do with what you know. So that is a very important part of specialized knowledge. So we have such a big focus on education. And I'm a huge proponent of education. I think it's very, very important. And we all need to go and get as educated as we can. But we need to put it more of an emphasis on how we apply what we know rather than just earning that knowledge. So I think once you have that specialized knowledge and can build a team around you, uh, that is really, really important. So of course it has time with the, the mastermind too. Yeah, of course. And because I think, that, and that's the thing, special, specialized knowledge in isolation isn't a strength. You've got to be surrounded and well-rounded. Imagination. How, uh, like you're a financial planner um, by background. 
Okay, you've probably got a great imagination when it comes to things of the financial nature, I'm going to assume. How much has imagination played a role in your success? Imagination's been good because it, it encourages you to elevate your thinking much bigger than what you could normally do. Like when we spoke about the boxes that society creates for you via limited conditioning and, and limited programming, if you've got a big enough imagination, which is a strength that a lot of entrepreneurs have, the best ones are have got an extraordinary imagination. It's been a it's been important for my own life, but actually surrounding myself with people who have a very good imagination. Uh, has been just as powerful, if not more powerful, than my own. So I've been living in LA now for a few years, as we spoke about. And Whereabouts in LA do you live? Uh, Marina Del Rey. Yeah, nice. Good part of the world. I love it over there. I'm yeah. meeting over there on Saturday. Oh, awesome. Yeah, I'm a big fan of Santa Monica. Yeah, it's a great spot. Yeah. There, there are people out there who I hang around with. So in like TV production, finance, tech, property, we've got a whole different mix of people out there. But it's a, it's a group of six people and we catch up very, very regular and we talk about what we've got going on in each other's lives and how we can help. And we offer that imagination, not from being clones of each other, but from being different people, how we can offer that imagination from a different background. And that is what enables all of us to think a lot bigger and get a lot better results. But it's a one thing to have a big imagination, but it's nothing better to execute on that, you know, because uh, I'm a big proponent of ideas are worthless. It's really in the execution. And I think that's where, you know, Napoleon, you know, did this very strategically. He talked about imagination, but the, ne- the very next subject that he talked about was the importance of organized planning. Um, so in terms of integrating well first of all before we actually go into that for people who don't think they have an imagination how do you encourage someone to become imaginative if they don't think that they're creative i think they need to mix up their routine of what they're doing right now if they feel like they're not imaginative they've probably been living the exact same day for the last 10 years so i would really try and mix up your daily routine who you hang around get out of your comfort zone maybe it's attending events whatever you've got to do to meet people who are in a position that you want to be in and model their success and just mixing up your daily routine i think is really really important and so do you have a method then of taking that imagination taking that vision and then actually transferring it into some form of practical execution to me i have this success plan template it's for free available on my website so anyone can go and grab it and once I'm clear on what I want in all areas of my life, I share that with the people who are most important to my life. So my wife, the six people who I mentioned as well before, and once everyone else is very, very clear on what is important to me and where I want to go, finally, they are able to figure out how they can help me. And everyone wants to help each other, but if they don't know, if I don't know how I can help you, it's very difficult for me to do it. Mm. But if you say to me very, very clearly like, hey, I've got a new book that came out, can you give me a five-star rating or can you do this, this or this? It's so much easier to do it. So having that clear definition of success and sharing that with the most important people around you, that is such a big, a big part of it. Yeah, right. And that is, that is what I do uh, personally and has been very, very profound. So is planning a big part of your the way you do what you do? Huge. And every, Have you heard of a book called The Five-Minute Journal? No, I have not. Yeah, so in the morning you wake up and you write down, uh, so it's two and a half minutes in the morning and yeah. two and a half minutes before you go to bed. So you wake up and first thing you do is you write down three things that you're grateful for and then three things that would make today great or would make today a win. And then you write down a positive affirmation. And then at the end of the day, you write down three amazing things that happened today and how you could have made today better. And I tell you what, those three things that would make today a win, they just sit there and they nag at you until you complete them. So that has been a, that has been a, a, a great practical resource and something that I encourage everyone to get because it just gets you very, very clear mm. on what you can do that day. As long as you're clear on your 100-day goals and you've yep. got your success plan completed, 
all it is about is winning the day via simple and consistent action. You don't need to, to run a marathon or do an extraordinary action each day. Simple and consistent action. So you talk about a 100-day plan. Is that how you plan in business, 100 days at a time? Yes. And what does that look like? Uh, again, it's on. I literally have it mapped out. It's very, very, very clear. And then I set a calendar reminder 100 days in the future so I can check, uh, check in on how it's going. And uh, an important part for me on that is I, uh, I guess like a lot of entrepreneurs can – uh, I can get down on myself at a perceived lack of progress sometimes. I'm not sure if you're the same. Oh, I never beat myself up. Yeah, do you really? Yeah. <laughs> never. I'm a, I'm, a pretty, I'm a pretty bad... I'm brutal. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm a pretty bad self-critic. My wife, can, it's like i got Tourette's syndrome if she's uh, working in a different room <laughs> when I'm typing away at a computer. So it's, it enables me to sit there and have a bit of a mental reset to say, hey, look, this is, these are the things that you have been able to do in the last 100 days. Uh, and that's great. So uh, yeah, so every every one year I redo that and every 100 days I check in on those goals and every single day I write down three things that would make today a win yeah. and I calibrate the effectiveness of my day so I can do what needs to be done the next day to make it even more efficient. Okay. So you've, you've been using these principles now for a long time. You've created some success in your own life. So let's talk about your success journey. So um, I, w- I would imagine that would have been a little bit of pressure on you, you know, being the son of Noel Whitaker, you know, legend financial planner, legend financial advisor in Australia. Um, how did we get to today? Yeah, well, the biggest reason I actually wanted to leave the country was because I just wanted to prove that I could do it on my own, on my own volition. You know, like I, I sensed want- a little bit of that. Like, yeah, yeah, I almost wasn't going to bring your dad up, but uh, I thought it was worth worth mentioning because you know he is an incredible. He's done incredible things. Yeah, and we have a, we have a very great relationship, and I uh, we share a lot of entrepreneurial tendencies as well. Like he uh, he is no one would put him in a box. He doesn't like being put into a box, I should say, and I'm exactly the same. So we uh, we like to live out of a out of a mold. And uh, so we often talk about business. It's actually a, a very strong foundation of our relationship or our conversations around business and how we can help people around the world because we both also have that very strong empathy around wanting to help people. So, Is that uh, how you got into financial planning? You were just following your dad's lead, you think? It was, yeah. yeah. And uh, it's weird that my, uh, my – so my brother, two years older than me, uh, he was very studious, performed very well academically, and he's been a partner in an accounting firm now, BDO, up in, up in Brisbane. He's got five kids with a, with a sixth on the way, so we've got very, very different paths. And uh, my sister also went into finance. And so between the three of us, I think that's just what it was. We went into finance. But I, I just felt like it wasn't the, the hardcore technical aspect of financial planning. It never really excited me that much. But helping improve other people's lives, that excites me more than anything. So it was, it was stepping out of that shadow where it's, it's difficult in financial planning in Australia to avoid that shadow of, of Noel Whitaker. So to, to get dropped into a new country and uh, that was uh, was just, I don't know, it was a very gratifying thing to do. So to is, that, is that how it went down? Like you, you built a successful financial planning practice? So I was working for his business, okay. which then got, he sold that in 2007 right before the, the GFC. So that ended up getting bought by the Commonwealth Bank and Colonial First State. So okay. we worked very, very closely uh, with them and he had left the business as well. And uh, yeah, so I was managing the advisor team of 30 people, 30 advisors, more than $2 billion under management around the country. So I enjoyed that, but just, I don't know, always felt the itch that there was something. I was always thinking about business ideas of how I could do something myself, but it was only getting out of that bubble. I didn't realize how constraining it was 
being in Brisbane. It's such a vast world out there. It's a small place. Yeah. So yeah. going to going to Boston and, and really opening my eyes to the entrepreneurial scene, it enabled me to meet a lot of people who were my age who were doing such amazing things. So how did that transplant happen? Did you just like, okay, I'm giving I'm just gonna walk away from financial planning and start something new? Yeah. And what was that something new in Boston? Uh, it was an MBA that was nine months Boston and right. three months in Shanghai and China. So no very, shit. very different cultures. Yeah. So you you so you did the study over there? Yeah. Accelerated study, I'm gonna imagine. So yep. it's twelve months because it's a four-year degree normally, isn't it? It was. A, I think it's normally a two-year degree. I okay. think there are so many different types now as well. But okay. yeah, it was a two-year degree. They accelerate for one year. Nine months in Boston, three months in Shanghai. Yeah. You come out at the end of it, and what are you thinking? Well, I thought during that what my life was going to be, I wanted to be a consultant and put in the hours for one of the big consulting companies. And I realized very, very quickly that I never wanted to uh, work for anyone else ever again. So uh, <laughs> that to me underpins the work ethic that I just do not want anyone to tell me where I need to be, what I need to wear, what I need to do and how much they're going to pay me and when I can take holidays. Are you quite rebellious? I guess so. <laughs> <laughs> I guess so, but very nice to people and yeah. very ethical too. Oh, it can be ethically nice, kindly rebellious. That's right. Yeah, so, uh, it's not yeah, a dirty word. You know what it's like when you're working on your own business. You work so much more and for the first couple of years, you earn a lot less too. Oh, mate, the absolutely. World. But I, I, one of the things I realized early on is I'm unemployable. Like I'm literally unemployable. I cannot, like I correlate, anytime someone gives me an order, my first response is fuck you. Like I just, <laughs> I'm not good in a situation where people have to tell me what to do. But in a situation where I have liberty of how I spend my time and my energy and who I spend it with, you know, it's a completely different ball game. And I bet the people who uh, get a lot of impact out of you, as long as they give you a little bit of a loose guy, but then give you the autonomy to be as effective as you exactly. want, exactly. And I bet you they speak very, very highly of you as well. Well, they better. I hope so. Timmy, <laughs> say nice things, Timmy. Say nice things. You people giving you the death eyes around so the office. You then <laughs> Shanghai three months. Then what happened? So then I uh, came back to Boston and was re- I actually had a relationship break up there. So I was very much cast into the wilderness of having no idea what I wanted to do. Then I moved to LA and uh, had the opportunity then to create a business CrossFit Torium with two uh, very close friends, John O'Snape and Mike Towner in Brisbane. And that quickly became one of the biggest CrossFit gyms on the planet. So that was a, a big You got a deal. background in fitness? No. No? No. You're not, are you a big CrossFitter yourself? Uh, I, I, I socially, <laughs> at the t- socially at the time, but no, I'm right. not. I'm not uh, no, I'll leave that to the, the big dogs. Okay. And then, uh, yeah, we had a social media brand called Boss Fit that had gained a lot of traction. And then we created a, an activewear brand after that. And then after doing all those things... Uh, yeah, it was just very, very, very busy time. And then when I had that was when I had the opportunity to be involved in the film and then the book. But it was funny because I actually, at university, I walked into a creative writing class because I always loved writing. And the guy said, put up your hand if you think you're going to make money from writing. And everyone's hands went up. And then he said, I want to tell you something very, very clearly right now that you will not make any money writing. And then I thought to myself, well, I want to make some money. You know, I don't want to be... <laughs> I don't want to be eating baked beans homeless under under the railway line. So that is when I enrolled in a dual degree of doing business and writing. Yeah, right. And that was the – but I'll never forget that. So it was – I never at that – since then, I never ever considered myself a writer. But then if I've got people like Rob Dyrdek posting out to his 4 million followers and Bob Proctor writing the forward and all these other people telling me that I'm a writer, then I'm getting more and more comfortable 
wearing, uh, wearing yeah. the label. Being yeah, wearing the label, which is just it's the label that bothers me more than <laughs> more than anything. I'm not. I'm sure dangerously what. undefined. <laughs> yeah. So you launched this massive uh, CrossFit project in LA. Oh no, that was in Brisbane. Oh, that was in Brisbane. Yeah. Okay. And um, you're still a part of that now? No. So I sold out of that a few months ago, which just it was just a. Uh, I thought there was a time when I was going to move back to Australia, but there's okay. just a lot of other projects for me now. I'm focusing a lot more on the on the speaking side, and and I've got more book projects in the works now as well. And yeah, just really want to for the first time in my life, I'm stepping forward to being the face of the brand rather than uh, being behind these businesses. So yeah, right. yeah I just want to help. Uh, millions of people take ownership of their financial, physical, and mental health. So just getting around the world trying to let people know that everything they have to succeed is already within them. They just need the plan to be able to tap into their own inspiration. And so what's next? What's your next big project? I want to do Think and Grow Rich for Athletes. I think people Ooh, yeah, I think people shit. love yeah, naturally yes. learning from athletes. That's a big one. And then yeah. another book I want to do is focusing on how young people can achieve success however they define it. So really help them come up with their, create their own definition of success, attract the people they need to amplify their efforts and put in the daily work to make it happen. So they're the two big ones I'm, I'm focusing on right now um, on the writing side, but also having a lot of other, yeah, I'll just, I want to... Yeah, I've got a month off in uh, in August in uh, in Europe. So then I need to uh, after that I want to get into the the content creation side more yeah, right. and more. So you're married? You got kids? I got married on April uh, April Fool's Day, so it's wow. an easy anniversary date to remember. Congratulations! So, yeah, thank you. So no uh, no kids or anything like that uh, as yet, but hopefully hopefully down the track. I'm, yeah. we're both really looking forward to that. My wife Jan and I. Well, I was 37 when I gave my first um, my first one, my first kid a roll roll 37. <laughs> no, I was 38. Fuck, I don't even know. I think I was no. I got married at 37. Pregnant at 39. There we go. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. Great. So I'm, I'm very much behind the eight ball. My sister and brother, they had their first kids at the age of 25. So uh, the pressure's off mate. for the grandchildren. Uh, no, no, mate. You're not, you're not behind the eight ball. You're the latest innovation. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> right. The latest innovation. That's how we do things from here on in. Uh, that's cool. Well, mate, listen, I, uh, for those people who want to find out more about you, more about the book, where, where can they go to find out more? The best spot's my website, James Witt. So J-A-M-E-S-W-H-I-T-T dot com. There's a free bonus chapter of Think and Grow Rich, the legacy available there. They can also join my mailing list. I can send them a, a free copy of my success plan template. Beautiful. And, uh, yeah, also on, on Facebook and all the other platforms too. And if there was one piece of advice with all of your experience, all of your entrepreneurial success, your financial success, you know, the, the experience and the exposure that you've had to all these incredible minds and people, if there's one piece of practical advice that you leave everyone with that you think would be applicable regardless of whatever situation they're in what would it be i think it's a two-part thing so first one is creating your own definition of success and the second one is taking simple and consistent action to get Mm. there when i do these speeches around the world now i hold up a slide that i say is the most important one it says each day if you do not make the decision to win you have automatically made the decision to lose so the moment we stop living with intent and with purpose, we're living someone else's life mm. and that is not where you want to be over time. So yeah, focus on creating your own definition of success and win the day via simple and consistent action. James Whitaker, absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for coming in. It's been a real honor and a pleasure and I look forward to seeing where this goes from here. Thanks for having me. Thank you for coming in. There you have it, guys. Thanks for tuning in to Unstoppable with me, your host, Kerwin Ray. And do me a favor, don't forget to drop me a review on iTunes. We'd love to hear what you think. I love reading what you guys have to say. And your reviews make sure we keep creating killer content just like this. If you want to stay up to date with me and all my movements, please jump onto the website, kerwinray.com. And also check us out on social media, at Kerwin Ray. 